Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Welcome to the program on this fine Friday afternoon. Uh, Oklahoma is in the midst of yet another roller coaster of weather, but we're not here to talk about weather. We're here to talk about politics and government. And oh my goodness, the session at the 23rd in uh, Lincoln at the state legislature is well underway. If you've been trying to follow the Senate lately, it is fast and furious. They changed the rules so that uh, things are moving more quickly in hopes that they won't be there late nights on deadline weeks. But that has meant that things are really happening rapidly with uh, not just committee meetings, but also floor sessions already. That's earlier than we're used to. Uh, Also this week, the Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce hosted their annual uh, legislative luncheon. And Bailey will be sharing some updates about that in just a minute. That's always a good look at what happens or what we expect to happen during the legislative session. We're also going to talk about vouchers, about school board election dates, about voter ID laws, about, um, and then I just, I will say this in a broad uh, stroke, issues related to ethics of people at the Capitol. Uh, how's that? And that's uh, people in politics. There's, uh, I think, four or so news stories that we've highlighted this week or we've got on our little uh, our little agenda for today. But first, let's welcome my co-hosts. Hello, Bailey Perkins-Wright. How are you? Hello, Andy. I am so excited that it is Friday. Um, I feel like with doing governmental affairs work during session, you're always running a thousand miles a minute. And the weekends are the time to breathe a little bit. You're still working a little bit on the weekends, but at least you get to to breathe. So I'm glad that we've reached Friday. <laughs> well, and it's nice that today is so sunny and beautiful following yesterday's like blustery near blizzard we had. I really can't. All I know is Wednesdays are snowy days, right? That's what's happened the last two weeks. It looks like it's going to happen again next week. But I, I don't mind if it's snowy during the week so long as we get a nice weekend. I appreciate that sunshine. So true. Uh, also, of course, is Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, sir. What's up, dude? Hey, what's happening? Happy Friday to you. I'm sure working in healthcare, you're also excited about the weekend. I mean, yes, but also, man, we're only two weeks in and already so many bad things have happened. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think you know, perhaps uh, the reality of the state <laughs> legislature is that bad things happen in waves, right? So so things happen and they just pass committee, but they still have a long way to go before they're actually into law, right? I mean, I, I was on a call today and someone said the, the very accurate statement that in two weeks, 2,500 bills will be dead essentially, right? And we know that they'll be mostly dead. You can have zombie bills and all that, but effectively a huge swath of bills that aren't heard in committee by March 3rd will be kind of off the table and we can breathe a little easier. But also, Andy, some bills, because it is election season, are just heard in committee to give some members a win, right? They may not make it through the process, but at least they can celebrate and champion, look, you know, I advanced this bill, you know, through X committee. So hopefully there'll be more of those moments. Plus, you know, bills that are dead, then bad bills moving through the process. You know, Andy, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. <laughs> what does mostly dead mean, Scott? <laughs> so if somebody's all dead, 
there's really only one thing you can do. So go through their pockets and look through loose change. Yeah. Uh, but if they're only mostly dead, they're still slightly alive. It's the great uh, Billy Crystal. If uh, anybody is uh, a great a great role for him, <laughs> he really is. Uh, but in the context that... of the Oklahoma legislature, nothing it's... is ever all dead. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's true. And you know, I am curious to see because we do talk about that every year. That like within a couple of weeks, there will be like twenty five hundred bills that are not. You know, some big chunk of the bills will be dead. But you mentioned that the Senate is moving a lot faster. Um, so Senator McCourtney, who's the new floor leader over in the Senate. Um, really kind of revamped their whole process in terms of how often the Senate is meeting, when their committees are meeting, um, kind of what's what's happening over there on that side. And he said he did this. Yes, they don't want to be there until midnight or one or two <laughs> on deadline week. But he also said the idea is to try and let everything be heard. Right. The idea is to is to try and and increase their their committee work so that bills are all at least brought before a committee. Uh, as opposed to just like, no, we're not going to hear it. No, we're not going to hear it. No, we're not going to hear it. Right. Um, well, or the reverse, right? It's to give them more time to read the bills so that they don't just say, oh, the title's off and it's we're still working. It doesn't have language, but just send it on through, right? Like he wants them to be more deliberative about it. But we'll, he also said, we'll see how it goes, right? Like this, we'll, we'll find out in a couple of weeks if it's successful or not. Where do we want to start today, guys? I think uh, I think we should go to Bailey and get the update from her. Bailey, you attended the Oklahoma City Chamber of Commerce luncheon. Was that today? No, that was yesterday. Okay, yesterday. So it was on Thursday the 17th when they held mm -hmm. that luncheon. Um, it had to be rescheduled because it was supposed to be in late January. But I believe that was the time that we had some weather as well as some nervousness with COVID. And so they pushed it back into February. Yeah. Well, it's always attended, well attended, and it's generally a time for the leadership of both parties and both chambers to shine a little light on what their priorities are and maybe what we can expect to happen up there. Bailey, what did you hear yesterday at the luncheon? Yeah, we had a panel that we, as in the attendees, um, heard a panel of President Pro Tem Greg Treat, Minority Leader Senator Kay Floyd, um, and from the House side, we heard Majority Whip Tammy West and Minority Leader Cindy Munson. And they covered uh, robust issues um, and ran out of time even for to get to even probably some other you know, important issues that the state has to tackle. So one of the things that came up with education and workforce development, there was a question about, you know, the, uh, the investment in um, engineering degrees, particularly um, because we have different employers coming into the state, particularly like around Tinker, for instance, and there's um, a need for a certain skill set, right? Um, and working with our higher ed institutions, our career techs, um, and others to ensure that um, more Oklahomans are leaving with the skills that they need to be able to take in those jobs as um, the economy grows. Um, and then Majority Whip West 
um, actually mentioned interest in wanting to see more targeted investment in nursing programs and teacher recruitment, because that's also another area um, that has taken a significant hit, um, especially after the pandemic. We knew that there were um, shortages before the pandemic, but the pandemic exacerbated that issue. Um, they talked about vaccine mandates and all of them said something very consistent. They all said that employers um, know the needs of their employees and their markets, um, and they should be able to make those decisions themselves and not necessarily have government mandates. So, um, but they talked about that there are a lot of vaccine bills that may go too far and in could potentially, uh, and they didn't say this, but I'm saying this, that like um, go too far in, in potentially harming um, our, our public health infrastructure, right? And so hopefully those bills won't advance, but they're out there. And so they mentioned the need to hear from different businesses and other things. Because I think, for instance, there are bills that say like, you know, businesses can't force their employees to do X, Y, Z. And I know the overall culture of the chamber is, you know, not mandating businesses to take one position or another. So that's a conversation is, you know, it, and, and Senator Treat actually mentioned that vaccines is one of the most divisive issues among their caucus, right? Scott, were you going to say something? Yeah. So the business community as a general sense, do you have the sense the business community was like, hey, like, stay away from the vaccine stuff like leave, leave on on the extremes right of not mandating that nobody can tell anyone to do anything on on vaccines right <laughs> but more so i think that the sentiment is leave it to employers to make decisions on whether or not to to vaccinate versus policy that says employers cannot make their employees vaccinate right yeah so yeah. Did they talk at all? Because there's somebody has a bill. Who is it? I don't think it's Paxton. It's not Paxton. Somebody, I'll have to look on our Slack and see what it is. There's somebody's got a bill that would make employees who are dismissed, employees who are dismissed for refusing to get vaccinated, would then become eligible for unemployment. Um, which Senator is Nathan Dom. Oh, sure, sure. So it's not going to get heard. <laughs> well, <laughs> and. It's not so. It's not going to go anywhere. Is what so, they, so they didn't reference specific bills, but they mentioned that, particularly Representative West saying she needs to hear from businesses because there are situations that she's hearing from different constituents more so out of fear about. Um, individual stories of hearing, you know, this person said that they were fired because they weren't vaccinated or this person's um, exemption for mask wasn't honored. And so some of those stories are being presented as if it's every business doing those practices, right? And so um, it was really a ensuring that, um, businesses or those that were in the in the room are also talking to lawmakers about um ensuring that there's there's rational responsible 
vaccine policy, right? That that isn't um, disruptive to public health. Um, managed care and Medicaid came up, right, in conversation. Um, there was a working group talking about um, post Supreme Court striking down um, the governor's effort to unilaterally implement some managed care efforts, right? Um, and then the Senate passed some legislation trying to put guardrails around that. But since that was um, not upheld by the courts, um, they've been trying to figure out what is the, the solution. Because uh, one of the things that Senator Treat mentioned was the need to ensure that there's cost control measures um, in place. Um, now that Medicaid expansion has passed, but Senator Floyd and Representative Munson continue to lift that, you know, the people um, went in and, and mandated that people in our state need coverage, right? With more than 250,000 Oklahomans being able to now have coverage based off of Medicaid expansion and respecting, you know, that decision by Oklahomans. Bailey, that only happened because a bunch of out-of-state liberal dark money groups came in and hoodwinked Oklahomans into passing a constitutional amendment that they didn't really understand. So, uh, <laughs> good use of hoodwinked, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So yeah, they didn't really. They didn't. They didn't. Really, <laughs> they didn't know what they're doing. Yeah, they didn't really. So. The other piece I was lifted during the chambers um, luncheon uh, with the panel was ARPA investments, right? Um, there are a few members who were a part of that working group, um, and they talked about, you know, the importance of making, you know, the historic investments in, you know, our future through healthcare, workforce, infrastructure, and other needs. Like, this is a real opportunity for Oklahoma to, you know, prepare for the future. Um, and all of them mentioned how collaborative, right, the process has felt and how deliberate um, and targeted um, the legislature is trying to be to make those investments um, in comparison, especially to CARES, because A, uh, the legislature didn't have a lot of say in where the CARES Act dollars went, but also there was a short timeline in spending those. And with ARPA, the lawmakers have until 2024 to decide how to spend the money and 2026 to actually disperse and spend the funds. And so they're using that time to be thoughtful and looking at priorities of the state and have built this process to accept proposals. All four um, members of that panel were complimentary of the ARPA process and also iterated that, you know, there's $1.8 billion to disseminate and there's nearly $10 billion of requests from different businesses and nonprofits and and ideas from Oklahomans. And so they're they're working through that process, but they're really hopeful. They also mentioned that, you know, we're also going to have some infrastructure dollars coming in, right? They said that there's going to be about $5.7 billion that comes to the state of Oklahoma as well through the federal infrastructure bill that passed. So that's another resource that they'll have to figure out and um, strategically investing Oklahoma dollars and where the, that money's going to go. Hey um, Bailey, uh -huh. did you, did you ask if, uh, did you ask if uh, of, of the, the members of the legislature that were on the panel, did you ask which one of them uh, voted for any congressional 
uh, members who would have supported the infrastructure bill or if they supported the the voted for the president who uh, ran on it ran on it and signed it or <laughs> i did not andy i mean scott no. <laughs> i did no. not scott no okay. no, no okay. i didn't i'm I just didn't. i'm just i'm just curious if uh if they uh i'm just curious if they are so if they're so big on the infrastructure bill if that means they're going to be uh thanking and you know supporting president biden thanking him with their with their votes in the next election or if they're going to pass. I am going to be holding my breath. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> On a very pragmatic level, what basically happened right at the, at the federal level is Oklahoma's congressional delegation said, we don't think we should pass this, but it passed. And so, of course, they're going to say, well, we will accept the money, right? And and perhaps this is a good example, right, of, of perhaps why we shouldn't be so high and mighty, right? That we are willing to cut off our nose to spite our face in politics. 100%. It is good investment in Oklahoma. And it's going to allow Oklahoma to do things that we desperately need to do and would not otherwise be able to do because of policy decisions by some people. 100%. Never look a, don't look a, a gift horse in the mouth, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. That money is going to be important to our state. I mean, our state continues to grow and we got to make those investments in, I mean, broadband and water, roads and bridges, all of those things. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like we talk about, uh, you know, rural broadband all the time and have for years and I have not seen anything actually happen. Obviously, it's not an overnight. They can't. It's not like they just flip a switch and it's on. But I'm hoping that maybe over the next few years, this just all feels so painfully slow, right? Maybe this maybe this is what we need is a bunch of money to inject into it to make it happen. You know, and that's something that Representative West mentioned during that panel is, is one of her big priorities is, is broadband, right? And ensuring that that um, is expanded around the state to ensure that everyone has that connectivity. Because um, when we're talking about workforce, we're talking about how our economy has shifted. We're talking about even how our children are learning, right? If, if people don't have that resource, they can't connect in at the equitably, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it is now a part of our true infrastructure that hopefully, you know, when we get that 5.7 billion, that'll definitely be part of our plan to, to truly expand. Um, and, and just to move quickly, um, they talked about um, medical marijuana regulation um, to get ahead of the curve um, because they mentioned that um, we have like more like storefronts and growers than like California and Colorado at this point. And, and the way that the legislation, I mean, not legislation, it was passed by um, a vote of the people, but the way that state question was written, it left a lot of gaps to ensure that um, people are bringing in quality product that's been regulated, that's safe and all that kind of stuff. And so the legislature is going to be working on that. There's definitely conversation on school choice. So that was a little bit of a, a moment of um, contention, even though there really wasn't no any contention, but that was definitely a stark difference in belief system of um, Greg Treat, particularly his passion of um, what he's saying of the dollars following the students um, and his desire to um, ensure that there can be investment into 
um, wherever opportunities that the the parent wants their student to go to. Um, Representative Munson mentioned, you know, there has to be those safeguards and guardrails and accountabilities to ensure, you know, the protections of our uh, state dollars. And she mentioned EPIC and Senator Treat spoke in and said, ah, we don't need to put EPIC into this conversation of school choice. And so there, that was definitely um, another area of, of difference. We're, we're not going to talk about the most recent example of the thing I wanted to do that cost the state $68 million. We're not going to talk about it. It's, no right. it's, not, it's not like it was a one-off tiny amount of money. Like it was an enormous amount of money and it happened repeatedly over a number of years and just got worse and worse until they finally got busted. Right. And now there's still grand jury investigations going on about it. So it is extremely relevant in my yeah. mind as a taxpayer. Well, and, and as you can see out of all that lineup, there's a reason why the Senate <laughs> is moving as fast as it is. Is because they got a whole lot of stuff to work on. So, but Andy, I mean, why do I keep calling you Andy Scott? Scott, it's my bad. Because I'm that handsome. Um, <laughs> my goodness. What was the reaction of the of the members of the chamber? What was there? Did they did, did anybody have any comment about uh, uh, Senator Treat's school choice bill? I didn't hear any comment um, and I'll actually have to because they passed out legislative priorities. And so um, that's actually something I need to, to take a gander through and, and read the position. I think. Over time, they've been sympathetic to school choice, um, but haven't had a lot of advocacy due to, you know, the, the, the tension between educators, brick and mortar porter public schools and how the school choice efforts have been presented. And so um, it didn't seem like there was a direct position on the issue, but more so of, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just interesting because you would think, you would think that the business community would, would be against this kind of a bill because the data seems pretty clear that it, that it takes money out of the public school system and you wind up with worse, you wind up with worse public schools and good school systems. One of the main draws that companies use to try and, you know, entice workers and families to move into particular communities. And so, um, you know, but that's the hard part is that that's the narrative, right. For school choices. If you're trying to get, you know, you're trying to get Tesla to come to Tulsa. Do you say, uh, come bring, you know, move your family to Tulsa. Holland Hall is a great school. Right. Like, is that, you know, is that, is Some that the pitch? Do. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, well, here's a great school. They'll take them to the good school that they want to show off. Right. And th this is the thing I think people forget, right? Like good schools are scored and published in all kinds of rankings, right? It, it feeds into state rankings and all this stuff is important. Um, and in many cases, those private schools are not part of that ranking, right? It is not included. Right. And well, that's what I'm saying is like, is our, are you, do you think we're going to start seeing, do you think we're going to start seeing, uh, uh, are we, are we going to start seeing private company, you know, companies using the examples of the great private schools in Oklahoma as a recruiting tool? Like I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I just, it surprises me. I feel like the, the business community, this is something that they would be, you know, pretty significantly in opposition 
two. Um, but it may be that they don't want to piss off, you know, maybe that they're trying just not to piss off Greg Treat. And because McCall has said it's not going to go anywhere, they don't feel the need to come out against it since it's, you know, since it's the personal baby of the of the Senate Majority Leader. Well, and I'll say that school choice has typically been a rural versus urban issue, right? Oftentimes, the school choice conversation is often pushed by those who may be more um, urban lawmakers because there are more educational options in those areas than in rural areas, right? Because one of the perceptions is that, um, you know, if legislation passes like this, that might mean less monies to um, that rural community school, right? And so that's always been a tension point as to why, you know, there may be a passion point for the Senate President Pro Tem, but less of a priority to the Speaker of the House who comes from a rural area. And I'll also add that um, definitely can't speak for the chamber, but they did release their policy priorities. And so if anyone is interested in seeing where the chamber stands on a lot of these issues, just go to the Oklahoma City Chamber's website and read through their policy priorities. Um, well, thank you for that update, Bailey. And thanks for thanks for going and being there and, and sitting through that. That seems... Um, arduous <laughs> but um I, I attended uh year before last it was i thought it was really interesting i mean it's a big room there's lots of people um and big rooms with lots of people scare me well especially right now i i guess it was it was pre-covid that i went um but it was real interesting and then i saw i've seen videos right usually covert videos people shoot about relevant sections and then post online well, and, and what I love most is that you get the top leaders there and you hear what will likely be those top issues to rise during session, whether, and I, and I always feel like I get a glimpse of whether something's going to be contentious or not, right? <laughs> so I, I always find that most interesting of, of hearing um, the panel leaders have the discussion on, on policy positions. Speaking of contention and pro tem treat and uh, school choice, uh, Senator Senator Treat's bill, uh, Senate Bill sixteen forty seven, which is also entitled the Oklahoma Empowerment Act, uh, advanced out of committee this week despite bipartisan opposition. Uh, so the bill advanced eight to seven. This is interesting because there's fourteen members of the committee. Excuse me, thirteen members of the committee, and the vote was tied seven to seven. How did it get out of committee, you ask? Well, as members of leadership, Senator McCourtney, who's the floor leader, and Senator Treat are ex-officio members of all Senate committees. Senator Treat had already voted. The vote was tied 7-7 seven to seven, uh, with several Dems and Republicans united in opposition. And uh, Senator, McCourtney, uh, Senator McCourtney came and cast the tie-breaking vote for the bill to, uh, the bill to advance 8-7. to seven. So uh, despite... The two parties working together to try and vote down what they thought was a bad policy. Uh, the Senate majority has decided to advance it anyway. Um, and I frame it like that because we talk a lot about the need for bipartisan cooperation. And we hear it even sometimes in leadership. But this is a great example of leadership saying, nope, uh, even though there's bipartisan opposition to this, we have the power to push it through. So we're going to push it through because we can. Um, because this is something we want to do. Um, and so so that just lets you know how important bipartisanship is. Um, the bill 
the bill, it, it, we've talked to some about this. I don't think we've gotten into the weeds on it uh, in, the, in the on the show so far. What this bill would do would create something that the senator is calling an empowerment account. This is a savings account that would contain the amount of money that the state would pay for that student's public education. And then parents can use that money for things like private school tuition or other educational expenses. You would only be eligible for this account if your child was not enrolled in public school. Um, if you got the money, do you have to enroll your kid in private school? No, no, you don't. You can just take the money and do other things with it, uh, whatever whatever you consider to be educational related expenses. This, quite frankly, is one of the issues people have with the bill is what they see as a lack of accountability. Can you take your kid to the zoo, use the money to pay for it and say this was our biology lesson for today? You know, I I don't know the answer to that. I'm using that's that sounds like a facetious example. Can you take your family on a trip to Washington, DC and say that was social studies? You know, I I I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. This is, you know, um, uh, the senator says that this is actually, this, that this bill creates the ultimate accountability because parents are the ones who are ultimately responsible for their kids' education, um, which is uh, a thing that you can say. Um, <laughs> um, that's what that's how this senator describes it. You know, um, some comments that uh, that were interesting. And by the way, there's, there's a great write-up on this on Nondoc, which is where I've got the quotes. Uh, much to my chagrin, I could not attend the hearing. Um, uh, Senator Pemberton, uh, this is uh, who's the vice, the, the committee vice chair, Dwayne Pemberton, who's a Republican from Muskogee. He says, I'm not for Senate Bill 1647 because I don't believe taxpayer dollars should be used for public schools. Never have. Taxpayers have never agreed to using their public school doctors for dollars for private schools. That is also a fact. Uh, Senator J.J. Dossett, who is a Democrat from Owasso, uh, says, um, what about kids that are um, uh, already in homeschool? There's 40,000 kids uh, in homeschool and private school. I think, are they going to be eligible now? Or is it just kids that are were in public school and are de deciding not to, to enroll? What about the opportunity for fraud? Um, Senator Treat said that uh, the attorney general would be uh, responsible for that. If I was there, I would have said, is this the same attorney general that says he's not going to re release the audits into things like Epic and the state health department? Um, I don't know what this what the senator would uh, would say. Also, since uh, John O'Connor, well, never mind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I was going to make a very Just rude comment about previous episodes where we, yeah. <laughs> I, um, you know, my issue with this too, I, I agree with those sentiments, is that uh, I have some questions about would this be considered as income for individuals, right? Also, it is, it is uh, as I read it, a a flat rate per student that does not reflect the individual needs of each student, nor does it reflect the amount of money that that um, household paid into taxes, right? And this is a slippery slope. If we are going to allow taxpayers to um, decide how to spend taxpayer money on a uh, piecewise or piecemeal basis, why don't we just give all taxpayers back all of their money? Uh, Scott, you get yours. Bailey, you get yours. I get mine. And then we decide where to put our money, right? There's some things of government that I would choose to not fund, like executions, whatever that, you know, like I would like to, if we're going to have a menu of options, but that's not how taxes work. That's not how our society works. Right. You know, I also, I also wonder too, have we talked about food, right? There is a huge percentage of kids in Oklahoma uh, that are on free and reduced lunch. And that particularly during the school year, they get breakfast and lunch at school. <clears throat> and so that's a lot of kids who get their, their chief source of, 
of nutrition, such as it is um, during during the school year, comes from from breakfast and from breakfast and lunch. Is this money going to include what the school spend on food? Um, parents don't have to use that on food. Are these kids? Are we going to start having more kids that are undernourished or malnourished in Oklahoma because they're not getting uh, uh, breakfast and lunch at school anymore? Even Scott, if if your children right maybe have food and you want to spend this money elsewhere that might mean cumulatively that some other child doesn't right because it's a it is a this part of living in a society and having government be responsible for these big hairy problems is that we pool our resources because we can do more together than we can individually and we're not we don't just it's not just individual every person for themselves out there but I'll forever always bring the equity conversation into this issue. The schools that are considered the not good schools are often the schools that are filled with black and brown kids. And charter schools and private schools have more flexibility to decide who gets in their school and who doesn't, right? So they can decide that they've reached their cap of X amount of, of students and not take any more, right? Who's to say that even parents will have the option to say, I want to put my child at X school if the school decides like, oh, we're going to cap <laughs> the number of students that we take, right? And so I just, I, I always worry that not only are um, involved parents and involved families going to be creamed out of certain school districts, but it's going to lead to reduced resourcing to the schools that need it the most, right? And so that's always going to be a concern when we start having the conversation of parents have to decide, you know, where their kids go to school. Because I mean, generations ago, there were parents deciding that their children shouldn't go to school with black children because of the color of their skin, right? And we can't pretend like that wasn't in just recent memory. So and still happening. There's still, I mean, there are still segregated schools in parts of town, right? Like in parts of the country. And I would guarantee there is not a school in Oklahoma that is struggling because of an overabundance of funding, right? The problem is that Oklahoma schools are still underfunded. We we spend per pupil less money than everybody else in our region, right? Like this is this is a thing that has been going on for years. And the idea that, well, okay, well, we just give up, we just take money and go home. That's not how we're gonna get ahead. Yeah. You know, we'll see what happens. You know, Speaker McCall has said on multiple occasions now the bill's not that that the House doesn't have any intention of hearing the bill, you know, that the the Republican caucus in the House is not interested in in the bill, certainly not certainly not in the way that it looks now. Um, we talked at some length last week, Andy. Do we think that that is McCall actually not wanting to hear the bill, or is this McCall trying to uh trying to say, hey, uh, scratch my back, I'll I'll scratch yours. You know, we hypothesized about what McCall might want in exchange for letting this go through. We talked about some of the vaccine bills last week. There seems to be more of an appetite for vaccine bills in the House than in the Senate. Uh, one thing that Senator McCall has made a priority for the last couple of years that hadn't happened, Senator McCall wants to get rid of the state income tax on corporations. He wants to get rid of the corporate income tax. Um, uh, I mean, uh, Speaker McCall wants to get rid of the, uh, the corporate income tax. Um, and there have been some serious barriers to that on the Senate side. So I wonder if what we might be seeing is a, a 
setting up a showdown where Senator Treat gets his school choice bill and uh, Speaker McCall gets a zeroing out of the corporate income tax. Also in the mix of that is the um, elimination of the grocery sales tax, because that's also a passion and priority of Senator Treat. That was something else that was lifted during the um, the panel discussion. And so who knows, could it be a even trade-off related to, to the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what things will look like, but I, I think we definitely can expect a Senate versus House showdown this year on whatever's decided. Yeah. Who knows? Well, um, kind of in that same vein, there was uh, another bill also by treat that, um, kind of got resurrected already. <laughs> one already died and one's already been resurrected. Um, that would change the date of school board elections. So right now school board elections, um, don't happen in June and November, right? Like the way Oklahoma's election calendar is built, you have certain elections that occur in certain months. Uh, and often those kind of non-major elections like school board, uh, like city council, school bond, some of that stuff, uh, those tend to be less publicized and thus less well attended or, or you know, lower participation. Uh, and so you end up with a small minority of voters actually that are making the decisions, uh, which is not great, right? Like that is, um, not how I think most of us think it should work. Uh, however, voters do have the opportunity to be more involved and, and to participate. So Senator Treat, um, got, um, a, a bill, a Senate bill 962 that would basically move school board and the tech center school board or school district elections to the second Tuesday of November instead of April where they are now, right? And then in the first Monday of November and even numbered years, the first Tuesday after the first Monday, it'd still be on Tuesdays. Anyway, it would basically move school board elections to the general election um, of the president, right? So on those years, and that would be a major change. And I will, I will be honest, like for me, I have um, some concerns about this, but I have some, I think it's a good move. Like I, I would love to have better participation in all elections. And I think our state could do a lot more to publicize this and perhaps to consolidate elections in a more, in a way that makes a little bit more sense. So they're not like April is a weird month to have an election to me, right? Um, February is a weird month to have elections. We could, there's some ways to consolidate things. The, the thing that makes me a little queasy or uncertain about this is that there are also bills um, that would try to make these races partisan, right? And in a state that still allows voters to vote straight ticket, right? So you can just pick your party at the top and it carries all the way down um, by if we combine these two issues, right? We, if we make school board elections, which are currently nonpartisan, as they should be, if we made those partisan, and then put them on the same turnout as uh, the same ballot as like the presidential election. You're looking at whoever is the top of the ticket, whoever's running for president for a given party, being the driver of some of these even down ballot races in a way that might, well, that will undoubtedly shift them to being more divisive and more partisanized 
than they would be otherwise. Nice use of partisanized. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it's a word, but I like your use of it anyway. Um, um, didn't those bills, didn't, didn't the bill though to uh make uh to force school board candidates to declare a party didn't that fail and to be clear you the 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 people that are running for these positions are almost certainly members of a political party well all the information however they don't declare their candidacy yeah and they don't declare their candidacy on the ballot right you can look it up and see if they're like if they're registered voter you can look up and see what party they are um but their candidate their candidacy is not on the ballot right you can you can put scott nelson you know party affiliation on your signs even you know vote in fact i feel like in uh in norman right now someone that was running for city council or school board down there says like jared deck right and says like vote like vote democrat vote deck or something but it's a nonpartisan race so i think um that is certainly happening but as you yeah to your point that letter is not on the ballot itself but also didn't the bill fail yeah so, so yeah so and i i think there's more than one but i know that the bills in the house um from representative cross white hater um, she had a bill that would require all races to be partisan, including school boards and city councils. Um, that failed. It wasn't. It didn't even pass out of committee. Um, she also had a bill that would require non-major elections to have to reach forty percent participation in order to be valid. Right. So, um, if turnout in a given election was less than forty percent, it would just basically throw out the results of that election. So that's not a good idea either. Was turnout greater than forty percent in her most recent election? Ooh, I haven't even looked it up. That's a good question. That would be that would be a great question. That's a good question. Depending, it may not have. Been. It's just so interesting <laughs> yeah. that there's a lot of efforts to make things complicated in elections when we already have dismal turnout. Well, and depending on how we calculate it, right, is this a percentage, is turnout a percentage of registered voters or total eligible voters? Because we have low registration rates and we have low turnout rates on top of that. Um, uh, Representative Crosswhite Hayter had a third bill related to school boards um, that also failed. That bill would have banned school boards from appointing someone when there's a vacancy. Um, essentially, would require school boards to have an election or to hold that space open. Recently in Edmond, somebody resigned or perhaps died, I forget, from the school board and they basically solicited applications and then the school board was gonna nominate somebody. Um, so uh, that's kind of, I think at the end of our rundown of current legislation, things that happened this week um, with the legislature, do you guys wanna pivot to perhaps some other education related news so there was an opening on the state board of uh, education and governor stitt has uh, has made his choice <clears throat> he's appointed sarah lapack uh sarah lapack um is uh is a senior enviro environmental project manager at quick trip corporation which is in tulsa um she is uh, in charge of the compliance department there um, and manages all aspects of environmental regulatory compliance and due diligence. Um, she also previously uh, worked for the governor at his uh, at his mortgage company um, um, in Tulsa. Uh, also, her you, you may have heard the name Lepac or Lee Pack. Uh, 
uh, here on the pod before uh, because there is Representative Mark Lepak from Claremore. Uh, Sarah Lepak would be his daughter. Um, so the governor appointed a lawyer who works for Crick Trip and used to work for him at Gateway, whose father is uh, a senior member of the Republican caucus in the House to be on the State Board of Education. Uh, I'm just going to leave that there. It's all in the family, Scott. It's all in the family. Discuss. Uh, yeah. Representative Leapak is also, I believe I saw on Twitter, the state chair for ALEC, right, which is the American Legislative Exchange or something. It's the the big group that files all of the, what we say, copy and paste bills, right? So it tends to be um, generally very conservative, right-leaning, voucher-related, those kinds of things. Um, those kinds of bills come from ALEC. Uh, Oklahoma is one of the states with the highest percentage of those copy and paste bills, uh, model legislation, if you will. And uh, apparently he's the chair of that. So you just kind of see it's a it's a small world after all. Speaking of it being a small world, uh, also this week there was news about another state lawmaker, um, uh, uh, Representative Tony Hassenbeck, who serves apparently like as the director of a, of a nonprofit and, or works for a nonprofit and helps, uh, uh, help that group at the Capitol, um, basically teach them how to advocate for school choice, right. For vouchers. And so they hosted like their Capitol day and she was there doing it. Uh, and so there's been lots of questions and I think rightly so, um, for a legislator to have a job where they are also lobbying for state legislation, right? I mean, that's part of being a legislator is advocating within your caucus and, you know, all the horse trading that goes on um, to pass laws, but to be paid to do it separate from her role as a state legislator is certainly um, a questionable. Now, you know, due to federal tax laws. You can't be paid with what you appropriate. Right, right. Um, and so there's no rules preventing her from working for a, you know, a 501c3 nonprofit, but I think, um, there's like, it just raises questions, right? And now she has said that she didn't present herself as a representative, but everybody knows your representative. In fact, they were meeting at the Capitol. Um, and she had her representative like ID on, right? <laughs> yeah. Like she had her lawmaker ID. I mean, it, it don't smell right. Right. No, it's, <laughs> it reminds me, honestly, of uh, last year, year before last, former state legislator, um, now county commissioner. Um, Calvi. Yes, Kevin Calvi. Running for the Right DA. when he got elected, he just started as county commissioner, then was at the Capitol, like lobbying for uh, a, a, a abortion, anti-abortion group or something. And there was questions of like, don't you work for the state? Aren't you paid to be a state or a, a governor? Excuse me, not the state. Don't you work for the county? And aren't you a paid county employee right now on this time? And it's like, well, not right now. And it was just those kinds of things, right? He was a paid lobbyist and a county employee. Well, and a couple of years ago, the legislature tried to pass some cool off legislation and it did not um, go very well. And Or I believe that it was ethics that was going to... Um, put a, a, a cool off rule and it, it just didn't go well. <laughs> so 
Yeah, the 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 legislature threatened to cut their funding, and uh, I'll I'll be damned if we didn't have about half dozen powerful uh, legislators from that class who did not come back to the legislature and are now registered lobbyists. It's uh, I'll I mean I'll just I'll be hot damn if that's not exactly how it worked. Imagine that, yeah. And it's I mean we all know that state legislators don't make a lot of money, right? They all earn about. Forty-seven or forty-eight thousand dollars, slightly more if you're in leadership, and you get a per diem and a mileage if you live out of town and all that stuff. Um, but it's still not a lot of money, uh, and certainly less than they could make in some other roles. And so, a lot of legislators have other jobs. It's one thing to be a farmer. It's one thing to even be an insurance salesman. And we've talked about this just a few weeks ago. Uh, that I, I, I think we as the public should and do expect our elected officials to, to be better, right? To, to go the extra mile to ensure that there is not this conflict of interest, that they, they excuse themselves from votes when there is a conflict of interest, but, and they certainly don't go get paid by a group to lobby the legislature. Like that's not okay. Yeah. And, and I will say beyond the, the lobbying front, cause I definitely agree with you on that, but we make it hard for elected leaders to be able to do the work of the people, but also earn a living, right? Because it is even hard for some members. And I mean, and I'm talking like all levels of government, especially like city council. Um, it makes it hard for people to be able to secure a job in a place where you're going to be gone, you know, four months or often five months out of the year, right? Or you're going to have to leave to go to X meeting or go to this interim study and do these different things. And so it is tough unless you are a business owner, you have your own law firm, or like you mentioned, like your own farm, <laughs> that it's it's tough to be able to do the work of the people that's supposed to be in theory part-time and then also, you know, earn because and that's why we have often a lot of times wealthier folks or people who are fresh out of college or or new to the workforce serving in elective office. Yeah, or pastors, right? Uh, whose primary work is on Sundays, not their only work, but certainly primary. So true. Um, well, um, so I guess as we kind of wind down, a couple of other. I guess, bad notes that we probably should just acknowledge news stories this week. Um, I think these are both from non-doc. Non-doc was really knocking it out of the park this week. Huh? Um, one is that the state Republican Party uh, reportedly paid over $14,000 in fines to the IRS and the Federal Election Commission for improper filings um, during the last couple of cycles. It was enough that the federal government said, okay, we're going to audit you. And so the party said, well, we probably expect to pay even more. I I don't know. I don't have a ballpark if this is normal. The The party says it's normal, but uh, the Republican Party here in Oklahoma says a lot of things. Um, so we'll see. I remember them being strapped for cash in recent years. Uh, and, and it's interesting just seeing this kind of stuff. I haven't, maybe there's a similar story about the Oklahoma Democratic Party that I haven't seen, but all we know is that uh, that feels like a lot of fines to me, $14,000. Well, Andy, and I feel like there's been this elevated culture of defiance happening in this resistance of 
collecting fines because we're seeing at the congressional level with um is it marjorie taylor green of yeah intentionally violating policy and accruing fines as this means of resistance to the rules and so this is a very odd almost protest if you will <laughs> that that people are, are are choosing to to take on yeah that's right and then i guess we'll end on this note because this uh news that came out on thursday evening and, and certainly has dominated uh the twitter verse at least today uh, about candidate for cd5 abby broyles um allegedly uh, becoming intoxicated and quote verbally accosting some teenage girls at a valentine's day party now we're recording this on friday afternoon as we always do and while while we're recording as is often the case um, we just saw on twitter that um, abby is going to be on channel four the klfor this evening at six to talk about this she admits to being at the party and says she's going to be addressing her behavior uh, and so we don't know, right? We'll see what the news says this evening. But um, as I think as Scott and Bailey and I were talking about this before we began recording, um, our I think our consensus, and I'll, you guys can chime in, but it, for me, it comes back to what we said a minute ago about expecting not just elected officials, but candidates for office to be better, right? And to, and to that we as the public should expect more and and I think rightly so. And this is, you know, if true, right. If uh, these are the kinds of things that are disheartening, I think on an individual level and, and but at the core of it, it's about treating people with dignity and respect, regardless mm -hmm. of yeah. if they're teenagers or if they're um, employees and interns or whatever, right. Um, Oklahoma is just too small of a place to, not treat people with dignity and respect because a you just never know the, the the relationships and circles but just in general from a character perspective that's something that we should expect and uphold from our elected leaders that they would and, and people who want to pursue elective office to become a leader right i think character is part of leadership and and candidates whether i mean whether elected or not if you want to become a leader in this state everybody needs to to treat everybody with kindness and respect at the root of it and also think carefully about uh how much alcohol you consume if you're gonna go out in public this is like multiple i mean from regardless of you know political party i mean there was a lawmaker who resigned and had charges pressed against him from assaulting someone in an Uber because they made the decision of being inebriated. Um, there's a story of another lawmaker who assaulted um, a, um, a lobbyist from having too much to drink. Now we're hearing a story of allegedly a candidate that has had too much to drink and said some things that she shouldn't have said to some teenagers allegedly, right? And so there is a pattern that is stemmed from alcohol, but it, just in general, whether you're whether you've had drinks or not, like just don't, don't be, be an, an asshole. asshole. 
<laughs> and with that, that brings us to the end of the. That brings us to the end of this episode. <laughs> it does. That's right. It brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, Scott and Bailey, thank you for being here today. Of course. Thank you, Andy. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Scott leaned back in his chair. I didn't know if he was going to chime in there for a second. Listeners, thank you for being here as well. If um, Listeners, if any of you um, recognize that perhaps you are struggling with drug or alcohol um, use, uh, we encourage you to reach out and get the help that you need. In fact, if you are struggling finding a resource for that or you don't know where to start, reach out to us. Send me an email, podcast at uh, letsfixthis.org. We're happy to help make recommendations and try to get you connected to services you need. Uh, Until next week, let's remember that decisions are made by those who show up. We will be uh, paying close attention to to the same legislation uh, and everything new that will show up next week, I am certain, Again, the next deadline that we expect to see is the uh, committee deadline of March 3rd. That's a little over uh, just under two weeks from now. And so things will be heating up by then. uh, And then hopefully we'll get a wee bit of a breather. All right. On that note, y'all have a good week. And we'll see you back here next weekend.